0: The following audio message is from Neighborhood Church in Overland Park, Kansas. At Neighborhood Church, we seek to be a community that loves God and our neighbors together. If you would like to learn more about Neighborhood Church, please go to www.neighborhoodchurchop.com. Well, ladies, welcome back to the neighborhood from uh, Independence and and the retreat you were on. I can't wait to hear stories about that. Um, I'm sure that I'm sure that um, you were fully secure. Your husbands and family members were were finally taken care of. Um, most of us were at a soccer park all day yesterday, so it wasn't a big deal. That's right. Um, well, good morning. My name is Dave Parton, I'm the pastor here, and um, what we like to do is is uh, teach through the. Through the Bible, most of the time, and we're in the um, right in the middle of Matthew right now as we work our way through the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, our pace is about it seems like about two years to do a gospel, so that's what we're doing. If you're visiting with us, um, um, you're, you're fine. It's, just, it's a slow moving boat here. It's just j- jump on with us, jump on with us. But let me pray and ask the Spirit to come and help all of us better understand God's Word. Father, we thank you for. Um, for the gift of the Spirit as he comes and, and he makes these words that are just seemingly like, a, just like black symbols on a page that become life to us. We trust your word is true. We trust that what is in it is, was designed by you and is your letter to us for us to fall more in love with you and to know ourselves more, and as we've been studying Jesus and his kingdom. And we ask all this in your name. Amen. All right. So we are in Matthew 12, Matthew 12, and that's on page 8, uh, 17 is where we are at today, we'll be looking at verse 15. And to catch you up, uh, what happened last week, if you were not here, if you're visiting with us, uh, Jesus had an interaction with the Pharisees, Um, he was walking with his disciples as they As they did back then and the disciples were picking heads of grain on the Sabbath and the Pharisees got all crazy about that and said this was wrong this was work and Jesus and the Pharisees had this interaction and um, the Pharisees got frustrated because Jesus won the argument on multiple levels and then so much so that Jesus healed a man and then they were plotting to kill him so that's kind of as we were setting up today. But I want to say from 1215 to 37, my hope is that we will see the power of Jesus, Jesus' forgiveness, and Jesus as judge. You see, this is forgiving God we have that shows his love for us um, with a righteous forgiveness in the exact balance of righteous justice. And we're going to be looking at that this morning, kind of this balance of him having the power to balance righteous forgiveness with righteous justice. You see, if one of us had the power right now to go up to, to, to Leavenworth, and, and I'm sure there's a lever there that you pull at one of the prisons um, that would just free everybody and just say, I forgive all you men and women, and they, they are just released. You could say, look how forgiving I am. Right? But that would not be in balance with a righteous justice, right? Or if we had a police officer that basically lived on 91st Street right here in front of the school, and any time that you were traveling at one mile an hour or more over 25, you would get a ticket and/or be sentenced to a year in prison. That wouldn't be very forgiving, would it? Like, come on, it was, it's downhill to go to Jaime's house. You know, it's like its like a hill there. It's hard to stay at 25, right? I don't know how many of you guys have been stopped and met the police officers on 91st Street, but they're friendly. They're really friendly. That's right. But there's a balance of justice and forgiveness, and we have to find this balance, and it's hard for us as humans to experience what that means on uh, perfect sides of that um, on that piece of That story there, right? Now, God has found a way, right, in this argument of perfect justice and perfect forgiveness. He's found a way to find that balance. And we're going to look at that today in just one little story uh, in Matthew 15. And my aim is that Jesus is the reason that God has the power and the forgiveness and the perfect justice all in balance. And let's read in 1215 where Jesus has just healed a man on the Sabbath and the Pharisees have plotted to kill him. Um, and it's also, in your, in your if you have a black Bible, it's in 817. It's also on the screen behind me. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him. And he healed them all and offered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant. as he's processing through Jesus' life here and recording it in his book here that we call Matthew, he decided to give us some insight of who Jesus is based on what Jesus did. This idea of he withdrew, they were planning to kill him, he's healing all of them, and then he tells them not to make him known. And he wants us to see that it's part of the prophecy of the Messiah the son of God, the son of David, the son of man. And he uses Isaiah 42. So Isaiah 42 all the way through like 52, you see these, this suffering servant. It just describes Jesus. It's hundreds of years before Jesus. But the prophet Isaiah is pro- prophesying about this son of man, this son of David, the son of God coming to save them. So let's break this down a little bit. First, I want to remind you that often when we see these quotations in the Old Testament, in their, um, in their mind, they would normally just give you a piece of the Old Testament. And it would let you think through, like, the whole Psalm or the whole section of Isaiah. Right? Maybe kind of like if we quote like one line from a movie, you're like, oh, I know that part. Right? That, that would be them. Um, not to compare that our movie knowledge is the same as their Bible knowledge, but that's probably true. Right? right? That's probably true for us in our, in our generation. So as we look at that, it's just part of the Bible. And the book of Isaiah is so rich at arrows pointing to Jesus. So if you want to see where in the Bible, just like because you're kind of curious, is Jesus really the Messiah? Read 42 through 52 of Isaiah, and you'll be like, are you sure this was written before Jesus? You're like, dozens of generations before Jesus, that part of the Bible was written. We have a great God with a great story, and Matthew is pointing that out here. And I think specifically in 1219, he will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. I think that's the specific section maybe Matthew is bringing up here in this section. So it's most likely that he wants his followers to understand that Jesus has a timetable, okay? And you find this out in Jesus' life because he tells people often, I'm gonna feed all these people. Shh, but you just fed a bunch of people, you know? There's these times where it's like he says, hey guys, keep this on the down low. But the reason is Because we have this great God, just like the prophecy of Isaiah hundreds of years before Jesus, there's a purpose and a time that Jesus needs to have on this planet before he is killed. And when he tells some to go and share, and he tells some to go and be quiet, it's because Jesus is control of this timeline. Jesus knows when the time is going to come for the cross, but it was not ready yet. So he's asking them, and Matthew's connecting that with this passage in Isaiah, as he quotes there in Isaiah 42. Genesis 3.15 actually says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. What's that from? Well, Genesis is the first prophecy of the Messiah. This is Genesis 3. So God creates everything, creates man, man sins, and as God's interacting with the serpent, he's prophesying that you know what's going to happen? Your head's going to get crushed. And poetically, his foot's going to hurt a little bit because he's going to crush it with his foot. There's a timetable. That Matthew in the scriptures point us to that God is in charge. So as I begin here, in this world of God's power and sovereignty and authority, our first point today is Jesus has the power. And Matthew sees it not just in the actions of Jesus, but even in the timing that he has control of. In verse 18, Matthew's saying that Jesus is the chosen servant. The very chosen servant that Isaiah 42 will talk about. He was the very Spirit of God. And earlier, when, and when I shared these quotations from the Old Testament about how the whole passage should come to mind, guess what the very next section of Isaiah 42 that Matthew doesn't record, but probably came to their mind. 42:5. Thus, Says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. So Isaiah is describing God here, but we know from Colossians that who, what part of the Trinity created the earth? Jesus. Jesus has the power not just to heal a hand or to heal all the people that follow him. He has the power to create planets and the universe and people to be on it. And even more, not just a tree, but a human being with a spirit, with consciousness. Our scientists aren't quite there yet, getting that far into the idea of creating. Jesus has the power overall, and Matthew wants us to know this. This is Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Messiah. The second thing we're going to see here, the second point is Jesus forgives. So you have all this power. He is the one that could go to to the lever and pull it. So he has the authority and the power to do that. But what does Jesus do with that? Well, two insights here. Look at the end of verse 18. He will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. So the Gentiles are the non-chosen people of God. Everybody that's not Jewish. They're the pagans that are worshiping false gods and live contrary to God's law. But Jesus is going to proclaim, hey, here's here's justice. Here's life. Here's, Here's an opportunity for you. Here's God. That's what this servant will do he's going to forgive the whole world. And look at t- verse 20, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench. These are examples of like things that are worthless and that are weak. A reed isn't that important. That's not bruised. But a bruised reed he will not break and a Flickering flame that's barely even working. But what does Jesus do with this? He chooses not to destroy. He's gentle. Jesus is kind. He's patient. He restores. He forgives. So thirdly, Jesus judges. Jesus is the judge. The end of 20 says, He will bring justice to victory. Now this sounds, now this sounds like poetic, but what does it mean? Justice to victory. Well, the victory is sinful people are seen as perfect. The victory is criminals are set free. That's victory, right? You once were captive, but now you're not. You were losing the war, but now you have won. This is victory, Now, it would not be right in this context of the jail situation if it wasn't also just. So how does Jesus bring justice to victory or forgiveness, right? Well, this is the good news. This is what we celebrate on Sunday mornings. This is what we call the gospel. Justice was done to another. Justice was done was done in our place so that we can receive victory. This was the purpose of the cross. The cross brought justice to victory. Does that make sense? The cross brought justice to victory. If we had a prison system where people could pay the penalty in the place of other people, this could be the analogy of the gospel. But in this situation, God actually goes a step further. Not just sitting in a jail cell for us. Listen to this. It would be like you personally disobeying the highest ruling judge in the world. Right? And over and over again, just breaking the laws that that judge was overseeing. And in that judge's kingdom, these actions that you were doing were actually punished by torture and death but in his power as the judge of this kingdom that he's over and with a heart of love and forgiveness towards other people and towards you, he chooses to ask his own son, son, would you switch places with this lawbreaker? I'm going to torture you and put you to death in his place so that I can stay a judge. Now that's the gospel. That is what God has done for us. And this is how Jesus brings justice to victory. And I thought about closing right now. But let's read on and see how Jesus' power, forgiveness, and judge works through these next couple sections of God's word. Let's read 22 through 32. So then a demon oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw and the people were amazed and said can this be the son of david but when the Pharisees heard it they said Oh, it's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven, and whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, will not be forgiven, either in this age or age to come. Now, this is a kingdom passage. We have Jesus talking about the kingdoms. So Jesus heals a man who was demon-possessed, and the crowds consider him to be the Messiah, maybe the son of David. The Pharisees are there thinking, well, actually he's got the spirit of a demon in him. And I just want to say, this is Jesus displaying his power and authority over the human body and over demons. Remember Jesus, he created the human body. He put breath in it and for him to heal it's his identity. The Pharisees had to admit that Jesus had power, right? Like this is a passage where the Pharisees have to admit Jesus is doing awesome, cool stuff but they have to attribute it To Satan, because they cannot admit that Jesus is the king, because as we talked last week, it would mess up their kingdom. The Pharisees are living in their kingdom, they're in charge. To admit that Jesus is now the king, they have to put down their scepters and get off their thrones. Jesus easily tells them some basic kingdom laws about how a divided kingdom will not stand. Verse 28. But if by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. You have, to, you have to decide. If Jesus is the king, then the kingdom of God is here. And all throughout Matthew, we're talking about his kingdom. And what does it mean for us to be good citizens in his kingdom? Then to display his power even more, Jesus talks how you must tie up the strong man before you plunder his house. So if Jesus is kicking the demons out of Satan's world, you know what Jesus is saying here? Hey, guys, I've kind of put Satan at bay right now. Now, if that's not power, not over just the things of this world, but over the spiritual world, Jesus has power over all the kingdoms. We learn in verse 30. Whoever's not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. We have to admit today, there are only two kingdoms. Which kingdom are you a citizen in? That's the question we have to ask today. Which kingdom are you a citizen in? The kingdom of God or the kingdom of this world? So Jesus was displaying his power. Secondly, you may ask, where does Jesus forgive? Where... You know, I'm sure you're staring at verse 31 right now. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will, will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So let's just start with that, with that second part, this unforgivable sin that we find in the Bible. And I'm going um, to read from Walford's uh, dictionary here. He describes it as attributing to Satan what is accomplished by the power of God. So if you've been doing that, right, you fall in this category. But most of you this morning, if not all of you who have come to church today, you probably do not need to worry. This is what it involves. A combination of a clear knowledge and deliberate rejection of the Christ of Jesus. So there's a certain amount of light That you've experienced in your head. One can only see who Jesus is. As plainly as the Pharisees were there in front of Jesus. They saw his miracles. And yet there was hatred in their heart. Therefore blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is knowledge of the light. But hatred of it. And I'll add. That if there is also an earnest and persistent effort to continue to hate Jesus. So with that definition in place, you guys, I want to just agree with Matthew Henry. He has has a longstanding pastoral counsel when it comes to this. Those who fear they've committed this sin, it's a pretty good sign you've never committed this sin. Okay? So if we could kind of put this over here on the piano, right? right? If you fear committing this sin, this unforgivable, let's put it right here, right? What else does he say in this passage? Every sin will be forgiven. Let's just say amen together. Amen. But what about that thing when I did in high school? Let's all say it together. We'll say forgiven. Forgiven. Right? What about that thing I did in college? Forgiven. What about that way I talked my family forgiven. What about that thing in my right, right my mind right now that no human being knows about but God? Forgiven. This is hope. Now when we read this passage, we forget it says, every sin will be forgiven. Because we're worried about this. Let's not forget that Jesus Christ has come to forgive all of our sins. Jesus is forgiving, amen? So the third part, as we close, Jesus is the judge. Let's read verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? Jesus is talking to the Pharisees here. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. So I I go to Romans 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. You will be forgiven. You will live in freedom. The lever has been pulled for all of your sin. This confession, this heartfelt faith, Jesus points this out. And this is weighty for many of us because of the words we have used and the words we use. Here's my question as we close. With Jesus as the judge, the perfect judge, what is coming out of you? Church, what's coming out of your life? Specifically, here, Jesus is focusing on the tongue. Have you experienced the power and forgiveness of Jesus? Are you letting Him be the judge of those around you, or are you constantly being the judge of others? Now our words in confessing Jesus as our Lord shows that we've believed in our hearts. One commentator on James says the faith right? The balance of faith and works looks like this. The works do not prove or the works do not provide our faith. We are not a church believes that we have to work to make God like us. The works of our life, the actions that come out of us do not not provide salvation, but they do prove it. And this is what Jesus is saying here. Is there proof that your heart has been changed? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Are your hearts seeking God? Are your words pursuing God? Are your lives finding their treasure in God. May we confess our sin and know that he is faithful and just to forgive it. May we confess our need for Jesus as that penalty for us, the judge's son. May we commit our lives to his ways and live in hope just like Isaiah 42 said. Hope for the Gentiles. Friends, we can have hope this morning. Jesus has the power to forgive and be our loving judge. Let's pray.